We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a question comes to us from Twitter, and it's asked by Major Pain in the Ass at Pain in the Ass 77. Can we get rid of these stupid cold opens that Elliot does? Here's our answer. No! This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Okay, I made that one up, but we have real ones coming because this is your May mailbag. Ding, ding, mail's here. Mailbag episode coming in. We're going to answer questions you sent to us on email, Twitter, Facebook. Um, so, this is going out, as you can tell, because you're listening to it on the regular podcast feed, and we're thrilled to be doing it. Um, I know we mentioned that we're going to have a Patreon mailbag out, and you know what I realized? Like, we want to be able to make sure that like a lot of the, the topical and important stuff is available for everyone to listen to. Of course, we also want the patrons to know uh, how thankful and appreciative we are there. So, how about we just do both, which is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to answer your questions that you sent in through the regular channels here on this episode. And uh, if you are enjoying this episode and want it to continue, it will, because over on Patreon, there will be a part two to this mailbag episode with additional questions you sent in from patrons uh, on Discord and, and Twitter and email and so on and so forth. So everybody wins. Everybody gets hashtag content. The only downside are the people providing the content. And that is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. Mm-hmm. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Okay, Clive, I'll start with you, and we'll just start with the big one. A uh, lot of questions about this, but we'll ask Marcus's coming to us on Twitter at MSH141180, which is, uh, I assume, uh, his bank account PIN or the password to his email, so uh, or his Twitter, so you can try it, uh, MSH141180. He asks, quite simply, what are your thoughts about Raul and Vinay's interview? Oh, wow. 
That's how that that is the question. Well, the I the mean, better question is: Can you answer that question in five minutes or less? <laughs> yeah, that's going to be tough, right? Well, I'll give it a go. I'm going to talk quickly. Well, obviously, I've been one of one of many people who have been asking for more communication. So, tick the club have done that, and they've done it really, really well, in my opinion. It's not often you see the level of depth of explanation. It's not often you see organization charts. I've never seen that anywhere at any football club you know and talking about the model talk about how it all interacts talk about roles and responsibilities and talk about the goals and the targets for this year the main target were well, a couple of targets really one was to integrate the coaching staff into the club and then they spoke about their opinions on Unai, for example, and how they loved him and do it again. And I can hear everyone clapping. Absolutely. No one disagreeing with that. <clears throat> and then we had a situation with the top four. And obviously they spoke about not reach the top four via the league, but confidence in um, the top four via the Europa League. And I think the first half was all about Eddie. And, um, and the second half was more about Raul. And I think... It's very interesting seeing their dynamic, how they work together and how they split themselves most naturally. Um, it seems to be much more about the the finance, the brand, the overall perception. He feels like the guy that provides the, the higher level mission statement and protective state financially for the club and brand-wise and revenue-wise. I think that how that feeds into the sporting side. But... It's actually, I was, and I was actually thinking on the first half, Raul was pretty average. I'm thinking, quietly, what have we got here? But that was massively dispelled in the second half. And if anything, we should care about the guy's head of football more. And absolutely, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was authoritative. I thought he, he knew about his model. I know it was a little bit big for consultant speak, but it absolutely resonated with me what they're trying to do, how they're trying to create a model that will be there beyond the manager. And we all know that the previous model was very people-centric. This is an organizational structure with layers, with depth. He spoke about the skeleton. He spoke about meat on the bones. This is all corporate language. But I thought it delivered really, really well. And I, I can't I, – I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to complain because I, I wanted this. I want the club to stand up and start talking about – what it is, where it's going, how it's going to get there. Now, not all the boxes were filled up with names, and they tried to explain that away. They even went to the the, the depth to personalise the contract issues with Ramsey and Welbeck, etc. I thought that was handled really, really well. Um, There's still enough room for people to have their I-know-a-bit-more opinion, and still enough room to make <laughs> sure that the people... Ramsey in particular was was lauded for his attitude, professionalism, to make sure as he's walking out this door, no one can say that Arsenal have mistreated him. And um, we all know how negotiations go, and I'm sure there were some low moments during negotiations. And I'm sure the club could say a lot more about what happened over the last two years. There was a there was a nod to the old regime and how things are allowed to slide, and I do feel. In particular, in Ramsey's case, he's almost the totem pole for a new Arsenal and how this is not going to happen. And they almost had to sacrifice somebody to really show everybody else this is a new, this is a new world. This is how we're going to operate from now on in. And 
and that's painful for the people that like individual players but from someone like myself who really wants to see the club progress I think it's a necessary evil and there's a couple more we need to do do you see what I mean? To really mm. turn the page. Yep. So I, I was, I was really impressed, and I, I, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, because the actions will come up in the summer. How we have the um, technical director in place, and how we, how we buy players, and and what level of players we buy, and how we sell players, and how we operate. That's to be defined, and in the summer, and then we'll see the tangible results. But from a purely communication point of view, I was really impressed and pleased to hear what I heard. Paul, what about you? Uh, do you echo Clive's sentiments um, or did you have any reservations from what you heard in the interview? Okay, so I haven't seen the interview. Okay, I've, I've I'll actually... give you my thoughts then. <laughs> no, no, hang on, hang on. I do have a few <laughs> quick thoughts. Um, firstly, I'm on the pod, not not so much to contribute as it's a really good front row seat to find out what's been going on this week. But on the, the interview thing, what I'd echo with I wish Clive, I'd known that before I started the Skype call. <laughs> yes, sorry about that. Um, what I'd echo with Clive is we needed to communicate and we've been a bit quiet. It sounds like we've been very professional in how we communicated it. That's all good. I don't know that I expect much from these things. You don't want them to, to stink uh, by being so bland and uninformative that they're just they kind of don't don't commit a or communicate a real sense of trying to provide some information. I mean, they can't tell us very much. On the other hand, they could go full Ivan Gazidis and promise to make us better than Byron in a few years' time. You don't want that either. So they're kind of limited, but it sounds like they've given some reasonable flesh on the bones content, uh, kind of some good good filler and giving us an idea of what their approach and strategy is. Of course, it's all words and it's all, it's a, it's about execution. Um, it sounds like they've presented them. Well, the Ramsey stuff makes me really, 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 really sad. Um, but it's, it's, I thought it's telling professional and classy of the club that they've left Ramsey, the Ramsey story as Ramsey's a good guy. He's not the good guy in the story because we had to make our own decisions. But it was quite clear that that at least they wanted to communicate that Ramsey was very serious about staying, but they, they took it upon themselves uh, to make this decision and they owned it. And I think you can make a reasonable case as to why, depending on the monies, uh, it was the right thing or a brave thing for the club to do. And uh, Basically, I'm okay with what they did with Ramsey. It still makes me really, really sad, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's my, my takeaway from the little bit of details I got. I'm glad they did it. It sounds like they did it to about the level you can do it in terms of communicating. We've been a little too quiet, uh, but the proof's in the pudding. Yeah, look, I, I think there are a few things here. First of all, someone on Twitter made the point that, like, oh, you know, people want the club to communicate. Then when they do, they kill them for it. Like, you're hypocrites. can't have it both ways. I think there's an important distinction to be drawn. We do want the club to communicate. That doesn't mean we have to agree with or like what they say. Like, the fact that they're communicating doesn't mean that they automatically get to say whatever they want. Now, by and large, <clears throat> I thought there was a lot of good stuff here. I think I think it's Flan on Twitter, uh, Flanny Balls, who, who said that Ivan Gazidis was like a CEO handbook and a copy of 442 got thrown in a blender. And 
I thought that was hilarious and apt. And I feel that having been burned by Gazidis a bit in terms of all of his corporate speak that meant nothing, um, I have a reluctance to really care what they say unless there are specifics. So I tried to listen to specifics of this. I thought that the structure they want to put in place makes sense. Um, That part I thought was very compelling. I think with the Ramsey discussion, they spoke to it very well. And I like that Raul said that avoiding... um, Final years of contracts is important and that they have to take the decision to sell if they can't get a player to resign. It sort of swerves the question of why that didn't happen with Ramsey, but we're never going to really probably know the the true uh, true full story there. There were a couple of little things that you could pick the bones out of, but overall I thought he sounded competent. I liked that he made the point that deadline day is not really the day and the window is not really the window, but the work is done year round. It, of course, <clears throat> makes it a concern that we don't have a technical director. He addressed that, so that's fine. The only little tiny thing, I thought it was interesting, she asked about how statistics are being used and data and what the role that plays is, especially in light of Liverpool, uh, the New York Times wrote an article this week about how data-driven Liverpool are and how that's been a big stepping stone for their success. And Raul said that, you know, we scout the players and we use the data to help us make informed decisions and not make mistakes. I don't mind that, but what that tells me is you're going and looking at players, and then you're seeing if the data corroborates what you found. And I, I just hope that the data is also being used to compile the list of players to look at, and then you go scout them to see if the data is right. Because there's a world of players out there right now, and a lot of them are known to everyone. The way you find diamonds in the rough is you look at data sets and you say, hey, wait a minute, this guy kind of stands out. Now, let's go take a look at him and see if our eyes tell us that the data is right. And then if it does, you say, wow, we're on to something here. Whereas if you just go scout the players you know or an agent tells you to go look at and then you use the data to corroborate that evidence, you may be missing out on a whole set of players that might have jumped off a spreadsheet at you. It's all nitpicking. None of this is bad. It's just sort of a philosophical approach to how to do this. But overall, I thought it was good. I mean, if you want to complain about this stuff, you're looking for reasons to complain because most of it is going to be corporate speak. They can't, you know, give away the keys to the castle. I thought it was very interesting, in fact, that Raul made that point um, when she said, you know, what are areas you're targeting in the squad? He didn't even want to answer that because he said, if I say we're going for this player, my prices go up. My negotiating position is weaker. If so, he even yeah. says he won't go for a position. Yeah, I know. And, and that's and smart. And I think it's, it's very <laughs> difficult. Area. I mean, when he touched on statistics, I, and I felt he just touched on it. He didn't talk any depth about how it was used. And But what they did really talk about, which I thought they brushed over, but we know it's more significant than they're actually highlighted. Also, are going through a massive change cycle. And it is people in that analysis team, those level of hires that have changed, as you all know, data is data, but how you turn data into information and decisions is a whole other skill. And I'm wondering, or based on recent signings, we may have all the databases, but it doesn't matter if you haven't got the right football mm. people and the right brains to execute that into the right decision, to buy at the right price, to sell at the right price. I'm looking at Tottenham, looking at selling Kieran Trippier. That is a brilliant move if they get $25 million for him. That's exactly what we should be doing with Shaka right now. You look at a player, he's just on the top of his age, just at the top of his curve. He's an energetic fullback. He's 28 and change, nearly 29, and a team in Italy wants to buy him $25 million. Man, that is brilliant. And then they can replace him with a, a Max Ahrens at Norwich, who's 19, runs like the wind, Highly technical, very similar in build to Trippier, and they can probably replace him 
for 15 to 20 million and they got a, a fallback for five to 10 years. That is smart decisioning. The stats are one thing, but decisioning is where I think we need to be better. Course, I think yep. he touched on that. And I, and, but I, I read that New York Times article and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And what Liverpool seemed to have, what they showed in that article was decisioning was crisp. And given the last few years, the manager's been making defensive decisions based on retaining his job and not growing the club. I think we've been weak on decisions. And so hopefully now as we're trying to grow the club in a more less people-centric model, where it's not about one individual fighting off the world, I'm hoping the decisions would improve in that environment. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, well said. All right, well, look, I think this is important, but we probably need to get to the more important stuff. And that's transfers. So let's do that. Let's talk transfers for a bit before we get into some questions about the Europa League final itself. Um, obviously, the name Ryan Frazier came up a few times. In fact, 1.76 Acres at 1.76 Acres said, I know Ryan Frazier will be discussed to death. Correct. He will right now. Um, Geo at uh, Hitman Hunter on Twitter asks, is Manolas or Manolas, you say tomato, I say Manolas, and Frazier the answer for Arsenal? Paul, how do you feel about these targets? In particular, if you could focus your answer on Ryan Frazier, is he the answer for Arsenal? So, yeah, Frazier is an interesting one. Um, I think he doesn't quite get enough credit when I, when I look through Arsenal supporters talking about him online. Those who are against him, I think, underrate him as a general player. But I think they may have a point that he's not top level in open play. Um, he's pretty fast. He's good, pretty good on the ball. He's pretty clever. He's he's pretty troublesome one v one against players. He's he's nippy. He's quick, but he's not next level. He doesn't get you into the Sterling, Mane category, and so I think we do him a little bit of a disservice in open play. But on the other hand, we're, we want a real difference maker, and he seems to be a difference maker with dead ball situations and with putting in crosses. Um, but that doesn't seem like who we are as a team. And I just, I, I think for the right team, and he's kind of at a profile of the team that really suits him. He's an excellent player. Uh, his, he's an assister, not a scorer. But we need somebody who provides a lot of goals. But I guess he could provide them from dead ball situations uh, and generate goals for other players. Um I guess I find it a little underwhelming if this is our if, if this is our one forward we buy for next year. Um, I'd want somebody who could really light things up and give a new dimension to us. So I find him a little under underwhelming. But um, and and I, and I question whether it's really real uh, on that basis. He doesn't quite fit the profile we're looking for. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we know that we're going to need center back and left back. I wonder how real this is as well. But, uh, Clive, I want you to have your say. I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I know Scott did a by-the-numbers column for Arsblog today on Ryan Frazier. The stats people are not impressed, but that doesn't mean that they are definitively correct. Clive, I mean, what's your feeling on Ryan Frazier? Is there a price at which he becomes attractive to you? Well, he's in the last year of his contract, isn't he? Just about to. So he's on that tipping point. But that little rule seems to have gone 
teams are still asking 30 million for people one year to go, right? So in in the olden days, <laughs> you could get a player for 10 million at that sort with one year in his contract. That seems to have disappeared. The Neymar effect is just trickling down. As a player, I don't... When I look at these players coming in, I look at the players underneath. And so I look at somebody like Reese Nelson and I think, okay, so whether you think Reese Nelson is good enough or not, it's, it's, a, it's an opinion. I think he's 19, 18, 19 years of age. But if you look at the, the, the body shape and the profiles of the players, they're, they're very similar. Chunky, bouncy, tricky, inside forwards that get shots from the, from the left-hand side and crosses. That, to me, is quite close to the profile of Reese Nelson. Now, we may use Reese Nelson in a, in a bargaining chip to go to go somewhere else, well, to get another player. We don't, we don't know. But if I'm a youngster in the squad and I see Ron Fraser come in, who's almost identical to me after the club have loaned me out for a year, very similar player, sharp sprinter. I'm thinking, hold on a minute, this this isn't good, right? So so I don't see the gap between Ryan Fraser and some of our younger players being big enough to warrant pissing them off. Do you see what I mean? I really I feel strongly so about well that. I think that's so well put, Clive. I mean, to me, the easiest way to state it is, is Ryan Fraser good enough to pay money for him to come and keep an Arsenal youth player out of the team? Yeah, and, and and potentially but, lose that player going forward. And I I think But his but his assist rate is outstanding. No now so that, that there's there's debate about that. You know? Okay. I mean not I realize his, his assist total is outstanding. But if yeah. you read Scott's by the numbers column, his underlying metrics are really uh less impressive and he, he doesn't do a hell of a lot else. His for example, his pressure regains, his pressure statistics are bad, his off-the-ball work statistics don't look good. So if we want to be a pressing team, for example, that could be a concern. But Clive, I, I mean, I think we have to look at everything through that lens in terms of our transfers right now, which is, do we have a big talent in that position coming through the ranks? You heard it in the Vinay Raul interview, how the academy is the bottom of the pillar that, that feeds the top pillar, which is the first team. Does buying yeah. Ryan Frazier say to a Reese Nelson, say to a Saka, say to an Emil Smith-Rowe, that this mediocre player you're spending, we're going to spend twenty million dollars on, is going to keep you out of the squad. How do they react to that? Well, they're not. They're not going to be very happy, are they? They're just going to. It's not Neymar, rebel. <laughs> you know. <laughs> they're just going to rebel. And um, I, when we got linked to him, I think I watched the Bournemouth game on highlights, and I watched the. I might. I want to say Chelsea. If I got out, I apologize. But of course, when you get linked to a player, you start to watch them, don't you? Because um, you want to get your information in. And I watched him particular against teams that you know that were solid and sat in and he didn't have the layers to dribble if the game's broken he's a dangerous counter-attacking player really quick holds his position looks very you know very dangerous so he's actually quite good against in my eyes against teams like us who are slow on recovery don't get back into our holes very well he'd be a dangerous player if you know once Bournemouth sat in and they break but we're a team that has the ball. So we're looking for people to move people. Move people with, with trickery and have layers and really have a bit more about them. I don't think he is that player. I really don't think he's that player. Mm. So for me, it would be a no. Okay. Um, well, let's do this. Then Then let's get at the crux of that question. And Paul, I'll start with you because I think that you know this sort of gets to where Clive was going with this then. And this is Matthew Miller at Maddox Miller 2 
who says which youth slash loaned out players can make the squad next season. Chambers, Bielik, Nelson, Nketia, Willick, etc. Now, I realize that Nketia and Nielsen and Bielik, you know, uh, Nketia and Willick obviously are not loaned out players, but uh, let's let's just say of you know of the crap crap of the um, crop. There's the word crop crop. I mean, there's some crap in the crop. There's inevitably going to be some crap in the crop. But of the cr- crop of players that we consider to be sort of the up and coming youth players, I think you could throw Saka in there, even though he's particularly young. Emma Smith Rowe. Which ones do you think not just could make the squad, but might have real first team minutes in them next season? So my favorites, my instincts in terms of players who can make the step up. Um, and Katia has spent the season with the team, which could mean one of two things, given he's so few minutes. Um, he's, he's valued and he's been invested in. He just hasn't had the window to play. That doesn't quite explain all the minute the minutes there, but you would expect in the later part of the season, maybe the last third of the season, he'd get start to get more minutes. Unfortunately, as with every season, but certainly Emery's first season, he hasn't had any latitude to kind of take any risks. He's, he's basically played more and more senior players uh, for the important minutes uh, in the later parts of the season to the point where he wasn't even playing a Wobi, he was playing Mikatarian when he had a choice. So he was going more and more experienced with his picks. Um, to be fair, so, I think I think as the stakes get higher, that's going to happen everywhere. Like I don't I don't have a huge problem with well, yeah. later in the season. It's the earlier in the season part that worried me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. It's a conundrum. I'm not slamming anybody. I'm just explaining. That's my job. Yeah. Why why Enketia could still be an important part of this squad and their thinking without it, which doesn't jive with but he got no minutes and my, my belief is Enketia is a, is a special player with uh, the right mindset as opposed to a guy with good skills who won't make it and we've seen a thousand of them so he's a strong strong one for me uh, Emil Smith-Rowe another guy I personally when I look at him I say yeah, that guy's a potential star, and I th- think he might be the real deal. Now, of course, we're all feeding off scraps of minutes. I mean, you can knock down anybody's opinion on this because nobody's had any any minutes at the top level, apart from arguably Reese Nelson, who had a good first half start or first third start to his Bundesliga and then kind of disappeared with various issues, injuries, uh, maybe some attitude late to training. But then he's far away from home and he's looking at Jaden Sancho lighting it up and uh, he's, it's a foreign language. And then similarly, his manager has to be very careful with his minutes. So you can find a reason with each player why and what. I think the real ones are possibly Nelson, depending on what they actually think of him in-house at Arsenal. If they think he has the right stuff, then absolutely Nelson uh, can be in the squad next year and contribute yeah. Uh, and Katia mm-hmm. Willock as a squad player, but nowhere near pushing uh, the first 11 for the midfield. Smith Rowe, I think, is probably still a year early for, for him. Uh, but those are kinds of the ones that I think are in and around. I really think it's Eddie, uh, Eddie and Katia uh, is, the, is the closest guy out of the bunch uh, with Willock as a squad player. So obviously, Clive, I'm going to give you the same question. I think there's an interesting point here that 
it needs to be considered. And it's one of my criticisms with Emery from this season. He really missed a chance to play some youth players in the Europa League um, in the group stage uh, and, and potentially beyond, like the Bate Borisov tie. I think he maybe let himself down not doing that more, although admittedly he was still new in the, in the club and was trying to get the team playing a certain way and he had other priorities. But if we do, fingers crossed, beat Chelsea and qualify for the Champions League, potential minutes for young players go way down next season. If we stay in the Europa League, you'd like to think that Emery would change his approach next season and give those group stage games to a lot of younger players. So if you're a younger player at Arsenal, the irony, of course, is that Champions League qualification may mean another season out on loan or fewer first-team minutes. So, Clive, for you, um, who are the players, if any, from that that crop, some of whom are not crap, that could be first-team regulars next season? Well, none of them are going to be regulars, right? So, But let's see if they can be additions to the squad. I, I think um, the ones with the most personality... Who is saying to you know saying to me, give, give me the ball, I can do this, uh, has been Smith Rowe for me. Um, if you look at the games he's played, he's he's, he's really contributed or scored. I think um, I do feel that physically he needs to go a step, and and I think he struggled in games and picked up injuries post first team training, and so he's gone to RB Leipzig and he's not he's just got himself fit, so. What do you do with him now? Do you, do you keep him out there for another year? Because they're interested in him. And I would say I would do that. But I think there's a real player there. And I'm talking about a proper player. A proper player for Arsenal. Somebody who will move somebody out to make him play. It's just a matter of timing. I, I have a personal um, favourite in Xavier Amici. But again, I haven't seen enough of him in the first team to even see if he can hit the level. But from the youth team games, he is he is a special player. A lefty winger from the right-hand side. He plays left-hand side. They reckon he's top three speed within the club. And that tells me he got potential. Bayern Munich are looking at him as they're looking at a lot of our youngsters, like Tyrese John-Jules, for example. And this is a problem. This is a problem because everybody... There's a young player at Charlton, for example, called Joe Aribo that we're meant to be looking at is going on a free transfer. I know from talking to people that the German scouts are all over him and they'll be all over our players. And if we don't create the room for them, then we're going to be in trouble. And because we do have the best youth in the world in this age group, we absolutely do. From 17 and a half, 18 upwards to 20, we rule the world. Every Every event, every club event, we go in there and we win them all. And everyone's sitting there thinking, English clubs are not playing these players. We can take them. We can create an environment for them and their families and we can take them. This is a real worry. I also feel that um, I do like Eddie. I think Eddie was unfortunate. I think he would have gone out alone if Daniel hadn't got injured. He would have gone out alone and, and we'd be talking about him as a player, maybe playing for Derby or something like that, scoring goals. I think he's a natural in the box. I, I love his movement, mobility. He's a great athlete. He just seems to have grown a little bit. And I, and I like what he does in the box is very hard to teach. He's mirrored two footed. He can sweep it away. Different finishes, really aggressive around the box. He just needs time to really show it again. He's not, maybe not next year. Cause I think we're going to buy. So, for me, Willock, again, I think he should loan. But the one I think that could be, you know, 
really breakthrough, and I don't think we're going to learn, is, is, is Saka. I think he's got something about him. He's, he's super fast, super dynamic, makes dynamic decisions. And I think he could be the one that we keep around and, and give some minutes to of, of all of them. I just think Amici, I'm not sure about yet. But um, though, one of those two, I think, could surprise with the others, I think, will learn. Yeah, you know, the only minutes we know for sure are gone are Ramsey, right? We have a lot of people we think will yeah. sell, but we know Ramsey's minutes are gone. And I think Elneny might go too. And so as much as I think of all of these players, the one who seems kind of the most, not, not the most meh, that's not fair, but the least dynamic and exciting is Willick. But Willick has played for the first team, and I could see him getting minutes. Like, if you said to me that he takes the Elneny minutes, although they were very few and far between, and get some of the Ramsey minutes because we just need midfielders. I see a path to him playing that I don't immediately see for some of these other players. So that's you know that's why I think he might have an inside track. Uh, Paul, final. He did, a, he, yeah. did a, he did a right at Burnley, didn't he? he yeah, he no, I think right. he's fine. I don't think my you know my point though, Clive is he's not he's not eye catching in the way some of these other stars are because he's not a goal scoring winger who's fast and and has tricks. You know, he's steady and steady is steady's not a bad thing. But I just. <sighs> Yeah. They sort of they saw pushing him forward more. I thought he was one. I thought he, he was a decent like shot a, on him. Didn't he take like a rasping shot at Burnley that was pretty good? Yeah, yeah he, he a couple did. Good shots. Yeah, He's, missed the post. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you know, I always thought he was one of the two in, in front, but they seem to be pushing him forward into an attacking midfielder role, as a goal scoring midfielder. And we need that. We. That, I mean, that's. Yeah. So my point is, I don't know that he's the most talented, but he may be the most ready and the one where there's a position that he can step into. Is that? I mean, does that seem like a fair assessment? I am very fair. Okay. Very fair. Um, Paul, final final few seconds on this topic as we get ready to move on to some Europa League stuff. Yeah, I think there's some Ramsey minutes that ESR could pick up on. And but, there's but, some yeah. Welbeck mm-hmm. minutes um, that, okay, we lived without him towards the end of the year and nobody else, none of the young, the youths ended up with those minutes. But I think there would be more minutes there uh, next year and in the Cup. Well, because can I make a be, point that... that- None of us want to contemplate, but do we really think Lacazette and Aubameyang will be fit the entire season without missing a game like they were this season? I mean, that immediately puts someone like Enkedi in the frame. Well, exactly. And and he'll be... I mean, that's the toughest spot on the pitch. It's like the, the quarterback position, right? As, as, a, as an attacking forward and as a center forward, which is where... It, I think Enkedi has looked quite good when he's pushed out wide. He's been quite creative. And he's ballsy in the box. I mean, we saw him not looking for the assist to Aubameyang, who was on a uh, a hat trick. And maybe it was never on, but there were a couple of moments where he was there to score a goal. He was not there to be the support act, nor should he. And that's that's a striker's attitude. So I definitely think he has something. But I guess what I really wanted to say is not much of a point, more of an emotion. I absolutely bloody love preseason. And I think... uh, you, Elliot, hold your nose a little bit. I don't think I so love much. It. I love pre-season. it too, Paul. I love it. Yeah. I, I think no, I love it. I love your... preseason. Yeah, it's yeah. just that I think I the conclusion the drawing from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. T- it's Tim, but by I, the way, I, that thinks preseason games shouldn't even be televised. Tim Tim yeah. is the one who really hates preseason. He's not I always here to defend go to the, I always go to the preseason games. I always go Emirates Cup. And I learned so much from them. Well, it's almost like you're seeing people in a relaxed way. Hey, and you don't make conclusions. You just can learn if you're really looking. And the, and I think it's really, 
I, I, I well, think it's great. I well, really enjoy it. Allow me to invite you to the United States of America, my friends, because Arsenal's going to be going to be over here, <laughs> not over there. So, just something to think about. Um, no, Paul, I, I agree with you, and I, I think we were very fortunate this season, to the extent that we were fortunate with anything, that Lacazette and Aubameyang played the whole season essentially. Um, fingers crossed, long may it continue, and it happens next season. But there's no guarantee, um, and that would, you know. Nobody has a great third choice striker, so I'm not killing the team, this, the club for that. But it would bring a youth player into the frame for that. So let's move on for a second. We're going to get into transfers in just a bit, but let's talk Europa League. And this one comes from a Twitter handle that I love, Ospina flailing helplessly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've seen some football pundits argue that Arsenal should boycott the final over political persecution of Mickey. Do you agree with that sentiment, or would the financial cost of boycotting the Europa final be too high, Clive? Should we have boycotted this game? Mate, I'm a football man. Absolutely not. I want to see us. I want to see us at a top table of football. You don't get there by boycotting games. To a, and I know the the human side and the or the political side is it's nothing to do with Arsenal. It's to do with UEFA and their choice of venues. Um, I don't see why we need to be taking the moral high ground because all that's going to mean is. We get penalties. We could get banned from the Champions League, and that could stagnate the club for many, many years. So, it's a it's a terrible situation. I'm just reading right now that Arsenal potentially looking to sell Mkhitaryan to get him off the wage bill. So, although I I do not agree that anyone should put in that situation from a human angle, um, the, the actual issue is that UEFA and their response and how they treat the fans, how they treat people that still the bedrock of the game, the watching public, to have a situation where Arsenal have 45,000 season ticket holders and 180,000 or so paying members. To think that we can only sell 3,000 tickets officially for a final tells you something is very, very, very wrong. Right? Yeah. And, so, and so that is the problem. And I don't think we should boycott. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> look... The issue of whether this is acceptable, whether UEFA is corrupt, whether what has happened here is uh, a travesty of justice, I think all of us agree that those things are true. It doesn't necessarily mean that we should be boycotting. The other thing I will say, you mentioned the word moral high ground. I am skeptical of whether there is a moral high ground um, as, as it pertains to some of the owners of these clubs, uh, some of the sponsors of these clubs, ours included, uh, some of the you know not so savory regimes that are being promoted through their sponsorships. Um, there's a lot of this all around, and you know this is not a discrimination issue. You know I think if they had said so and so player can't come be in the final because they are black, you know, um, you know because they are gay, because they are you know whatever the case may be, I think you have a different issue there. And I'm not saying he's not being discriminated on because of something that he has no control over. But it's the point that there is political conflict between these two countries. And that political conflict would make it unsafe for him to arrive. It's not discrimination per se. It's a geopolitical conflict. The corruption is the problem. It is UEFA accepting this location as the location of the final for corrupt reasons and through corrupt transactions. That is the problem. Um, so... While I think it is a, an absolute miscarriage of justice and should not have happened, I draw a little bit of a distinction in terms of it being a discrimination issue. UEFA isn't discriminating against uh, Mkhitaryan. There is a geopolitical conflict, and 
it's between his nation and the nation that's hosting it. Again, that nation shouldn't have been given the final, but I, I think there's a slightly different issue versus what we're going to see in Qatar, for example, with the World Cup, which raises the specter of some discrimination issues that that certainly uh, other people can probably speak to more eloquently, articulately, and intelligently. So I'm not going to go into that topic here. But Paul, I definitely want to get your thoughts on this, specifically to the question, should we have boycotted? And then, you know, any thoughts you have uh, in uh, connection with that? Yeah, so it seems like the article that caused all the fuss was this uh, Barry Glenn Denning article titled Baku Boycott Would Solve Arsenal Dilemma Rather Than Leave a Man Behind. To be fair, I think it so was discussed to- prior to that, and then I think he sort of leapt onto the opportunity to turn it into an article. But yeah, that, that is definitely yeah. getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. So I read this article to see how it solves the dilemma. I don't know what dilemma it solves for us, apart from should we go or not. Any decision you make solves that dilemma, uh, but it doesn't solve anything. So he says we should boycott it because, like, we should. And then he says, of course, the, ram- the ramifications for the club could be severe but hardly ruinous. And then he discusses what the ramifications are, including we'd just be losing the $50 million per season in European exile after we were not only missed out on Champions League but would get a European ban. And the guy has to be on drugs to put together an article that says we really should do this because it's the right thing to do uh, and it wouldn't really hurt us and then describes how we would literally be torpedoing our club for multiple years. The article makes no sense. I don't think the argument in general makes any sense. It would be pointless. And if and any kind of... The, pro, the problem would be from an Arsenal standpoint, uh, not that we'd ever consider just giving up on the competition, as he's saying, but... To do anything in between of making a big fuss is just a massive freak and distraction for the squad who needs to settle into the idea. We're playing the game. We've got an opponent. There's a stadium. There's some people. We've got to be more intense than the other guys, and we don't need the distractions. So uh, I, I think it's all bollocks. And from an Arsenal standpoint, they can't even get involved in that kind of dialogue. The decision's been made. Uh, in many ways, it felt like it was made a long time ago. Mkhitaryan didn't go when he was at Dortmund. He didn't go earlier in the season for us. I don't know why he isn't going, and I don't mean that harshly. I, I doubt it's his personal safety he's worried about. But when I look at where his hometown is, it's just across the border from this place. He's probably a lot more concerned about his family's safety, uh, given the neighborhood they live in. Um, and the tensions that may be there than his own personal safety. But that's just my opinion. I I would say this. I don't think any of us have the right at any point to ever question someone's decision about whether they feel safe or not. If they do not feel safe enough to travel, that is already a a travesty and the game should not have been there. I mean, I, I I, I think there's a distinction between carry a bag or whatever it is where you're drawn against that team and unless UEFA is going to ban an Azerbaijani or an Armenian team from competition entirely, you know, you're drawn to go there and you have other games you can make it up. But the final is a showpiece. They pick it well in advance. I think the only opportunity for a boycott would have been for Chelsea and Arsenal to get together and collectively in advance have said, we will not attend a final in this location. We are happy to play it at Wembley or another location selected by UEFA, but we will not go there. 
um, because it is unfair to our fans and it is unsafe for our players, and that's not acceptable to us. Because I can guarantee you, if Eden Hazard was Armenian, th- this wouldn't this this would be elevated to an even higher level than it has been. Clive, you want to chime in? Only quickly because it's it's a, it's a tough one, right? But I, I do think from a um, the guitar is probably the most famous Armenian I, that I know, and basically. Uh, uh, Kim, Karda- second, Kim Kardashian would like a word. <laughs> okay, well, I don't, I don't really... Uh, I don't There's really about five Kardashians, so that makes I him don't... about the sixth most famous. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I don't really... Who, who are they? I don't really know them, right? How, so, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> in my, in my inclined world, man, it's only football that counts. Right, so basically, it, he, you know, he would suffer pressure at home. He, w- he would definitely be, um, be targeted and also... It's a risk management decision. Who knows what that means for the rest of the squad if he's there? Right? It, 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 we just don't know enough. And remember the old Dortmund bus issue that happened? Things happen now with footballers. They're very, very famous. Mm. People like to make statements at big events. You know, I think this is something we're going to have to watch in the future about players' safety, players being on the pitch, people making statements. Footballers becoming ultra famous, and they're they're becoming targets. And I and I I don't think this is something we're going to be thinking. Of, we're going to be talking about for many many years. Maybe not about this sort of war torn situation, but there'll be other situations regarding you know race, religion, things like that. Yeah. I do feel this is where we're heading because the the world is heading this way, right? And um, mm. we're becoming a lot more divided rather than united. So. And I think football and sporting events potentially could be a, a point where people want to make a point, and that really does concern me going forward. Yeah, it's a worry, um, and it's unfortunate. But I, you know, I cert- look. I want to make sure I'm clear about saying too. You know, I, saying we shouldn't boycott doesn't mean we think that UEFA aren't an absolute disgrace here. So I don't think any of us are saying that yeah. what UEFA done is cool. But you know, it is what it is, and and I do agree that we have to go play the game. Um, and I do think it will impact the game because I think Mkhitaryan would have played, and he has scored in a uh, Europa League final before. So let's uh, let's talk about the game specifically. Paul, I'll start with you. Ashish Srivastava. I think I've done that right. Ashish Srivastava. Well, <laughs> got it the right time, first time. Srivastava uh, at Arsenalism thirteen asks, "What would your starting eleven for the final be?" I I would definitely be in for that guy. He's, he's probably about thirty million at the moment. Oh, oh Ashish Shrivastava. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure he's a wonderful uh, footballer. He he looks quite uh, fetching in his in his uh, avi. But but what would your starting eleven for the final? Currently be? trying to YouTube him. Um, I think we go. I mean, I don't see any reason why we're not going to go. Basically, three four three. Uh, Ozil, uh, the the two forwards ahead of him. Maybe it will be doesn't start. Um, Chaka, Torreira, midfield. Uh, Kalasinac, Ainsley, Maitland, Niles as the wide forwards. And our three centre-backs, Koscielny in the middle, Socrates to the right, and Nacho to the left. Um, and a potential change in formation to get a, a Wobi into the mix later on in the game, depending on the intensity of it and and how Ozil's doing. I mean, putting pressure on Jorginho is going to be a big job for somebody. Um, and I think the uh, Emery will have spent the last 
week to two weeks working with those or to tell him what he needs to do to be a presence while combining with Lacazette dropping onto Jorginho or Obama Yang. Um, but my guess is that I think Welbeck will be on the bench and, and probably also will be, but that's my guess. Yep. I mean, uh, I, I think that's pretty hard to argue with for the most part. I mean, you can name 12 players on the bench. I think I've been told. So, uh, they're all going to be there. <laughs> They'll all be there. <laughs> They'll all be there. Clive, who's your uh, starting eleven for the final? You can't argue with that. We we haven't touched on the goalkeeper situation. Well, that's, but we... I was just about to say. I mean, the, the argument comes down to one position, doesn't it? It does. It does. But I, there are scenarios I could throw up, right? Just for just for debate. The goalkeeper situation. I I. Um, would go with Leno. I'm sorry, this game is too important. I can't sit there and say things that I've said on this podcast about how important it is to get back to the top table. And then when we get to the moment, we we, we pick people that are not the best players. And uh, I'm sorry, that's the way football goes. Clive, can I ask you a question on that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So while I, I would basically agree with your logic, but do you actually think if you were Emery, the Arsenal manager in that situation, in the squad, all, all the human aspects as a coach yourself, right? You mm-hmm. you know what it's like working with these guys, working in training. You, you've had Czech basically dedicate his season to this and you know that he's committed to this and that he's worked with that that defence, the midfield, etc. and that they're, they've been part of something in terms of the mentality towards this game. Yeah. Do you really think you'd turn around at this stage, uh, yep. despite your footballing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, yep. Elliot. You're you're another utter evil bastard. Yeah, fuck check, nice. play Leno. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. So I, I, I just think because the enormity of the game. But I think Arsenal will play check, and I, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep over it. Would you? Would, it, would, it, would you? Really I. I'll give you an example. Actually, I, I've got a real-life example. I had an Eastern England Cup final recently, and I've got mm. two, very, two very good goalkeepers. One of our goalkeepers broke his wrist a few weeks before, was coming back to fitness. I split the games between them. Another one of our goalkeepers, very front-footed, very good with his feet, very aggressive, and we were playing a very fast team. And I made a call to play the, the second goalkeeper, and... It was very yeah, upsetting. Absolutely, it was very upsetting, and but it was the right thing to do for that game. Somebody that could come out. What sweep about up. the ten other players? I mean, it, who? Yeah. It, it's a collective, right, Clive? I mean, when you make it, a decision well, it, end, that hurts the, the end, ten other players or the whole squad because you care about the feelings of a guy who's retiring from professional football to go play for the op or, or work for the opposition, I'm sorry, I am it, not it, starting it, a guy who would be equally it, content with either outcome. If he's not going to be gutted losing this at full time, I don't want him starting for my team. That's my opinion. Yeah. Football is it's, it's, it's really, really tough. It's a ruthless game. It's 99.9% rejection and disappointment. And the ones that we love are the ones that get through to the top level and we and we love them. There's a tough journey getting there. Peter Cech understands the game. I think we'll end up playing Peter Cech. But, you know, you, you said something there about 10 other players. That is absolutely right. There are 10 other players. There are other people in the club. There are people that are absolutely reliant, people's careers reliant on this game. The direction of their careers will take a different direction based on where 
where this game goes. Probably the coach too, yeah. <laughs> Potentially the coach will be under pressure in October rather than next January. That's how that's how it goes, right? It loses two games and we're still in the Europa League and we don't manage the Thursday, Sunday well. He's under pressure. Simple as that. People start to get the comparison sheets out on the shots on goal, etc., etc. That's the way it goes. I personally would manage that risk, but I don't mind if he doesn't because... Peter Cech is a special individual. Yes. He is a special man, a special individual. He is somebody that I wish the club could keep. I really do. I think he is a special, special man. Those people don't come along very often. You know, I don't care what you got to get him to do. Just get him to do something. Keep those people around. So he he actually go, you know, he goes against my thinking. But me personally, I would err towards playing Leno because I desperately and selfishly want to win this game. But I'm not sure, as I say it, Paul, I sort of sense your your questions, and I say that with a heavy, heavy heart against um, against Peter Well, Chip. all right, Paul, I don't yeah, want to shut you out. Come, come, come back into this, please. Yeah, it's, A, it's not the same a keeper versus the rest of the team. We already know that because there's such a thing as a cup goalie. It's a different animal. Peter Cech is not just another player. Um this is not just another game for him. And so the emotional investment in check within the squad, you're not just impacting one. Uh, I totally agree. I don't really give a fuck about the actual players, actually actual feelings as an individual. But the, the squad mentality is a group thing, think thing. It's like snipping the blue wire. There's lots of wires in there. Why would that be the one that fucks everything up? That's fair point, so yeah. you... You might yank check out and say, hey, hey, we'll put in the slightly better uh, goalkeeper. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Leno rushing out in the Burnley game. To our, uh, I must admit, Greco. his form has dropped off a little bit, has yeah. it? <laughs> a Greco-Roman wrestling match with uh, one of their forwards over there and just about came out on top. You've got to be careful what you do when you snip those wires. And it's not just about one player. It's about the group mentality. They have been training as a group to defend. Now, if he got injured, everybody would switch their minds immediately to getting around Leno thing. But he's not getting injured. He's going to be in that dressing room. He's going to be in the prep sessions. He's going to be in the planning sessions. And then, oh, quick switcheroo right at the end. We're playing Leno. It's not going to happen. That's not what you would do. And you couldn't do it to the mentality of your team because it's too big a risk. You go with what you got. Uh, you might Emery might be praying that uh, Czech gets an injury, but he's not going to rip him out. And the, the gap between the two of them may not be that significant on the day. So it, on paper, in a computer game, I'm with you. I, I play Leno, but that's not what we're dealing with here. Fair. We're dealing with people, teams, mentalities that are beyond what one what you'd like to do to one player or not and his feelings. And, and I want to clarify something from my outburst. Uh, first of all, if <laughs> if Emery thinks Czech will do better in the final from a football standpoint, thinks he will play better, trusts him to have the better game, he's got to play him. I, You pick the best 11, absolutely. Um, if he is picking him because he feels that he has a commitment to him out of a sense of obligation, that would really upset me because... First of all, I mean, look, I think what Chelsea did to check is absolutely shameful. Pointing out 
<laughs> I think quite tactically in the week before the game that he'll be returning to the club, right? Um, I I think that that was to give Emery a decision to make and make his life a little harder. Check posted a tweet. I say quickly, I'm fully on board with what you've said so far. So I don't diverge from anything you said in in this long sentence. Hang on, so that's 48 minutes. And what's the date today? Uh, it's May, um, <laughs> it's an May 24th. Um, <laughs> it was bound to happen eventually. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I just think, you know, and here's the other thing. You know you can't drop from the final? You can't drop Maitland-Niles, a young player looking forward to this who earned it. Czech has won the Champions League. Czech has won the Premier League. Czech has played for his country, probably captained his country. I won't look that up. I'll just assume it's true. Um, he's done it all in the game. And if he has to step aside so that this team can take the step it needs to to be in the Champions League next season, which the entire club needs desperately, I think he is such a wonderful man that I think if ever there was a man who could handle it, it's him. And he's going oh. off to be at Chelsea. I don't see Sorry. him being the type to throw the whole game into disarray by having some kind of outrageous reaction. Go ahead, Clive. Let's let's uh, get this I just, to the I just completion wanna... I'll give you another scenario, right? And you know, it's not—it's it's a difficult thing making decisions on players. And trust me, I know this. We won that final, by the way, but I still feel bad about dropping a couple of players from the squad. That's because you were a complete bastard about it. Yeah, but you know what? It was a massive day, and I, it, it worked out. But it, it's tough. It's not easy to do, right? So, well, I'm sure the players who but, got dropped are happier having won it than they would have had they played and lost it. I'm just guessing. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. not. I don't under I don't don't underestimate how much it hurts people when they don't play in these games. It mm, really fair. does hurt. And and but what I will say now that story's broke about going back to Chelsea. Can you imagine what Peter Cech's thinking? He's thinking, okay, I have to play the game of my life here. I have to because my whole professional integrity could be put into question. I'm playing a final against a team that's already qualified for the Champions League. I'm going to be their technical director, wherever the job title is going to be. And if I am seen to make any mistakes that could cost us the game, my career potentially will be will be remembered. Uh, maybe a bit dramatic, but people remember this as a point in time that I messed up against the team I'm going to. So can you imagine how professional he's going to be? how in tune he's going to be, how he's going to probably want to play the game of his life. And it's only one Chelsea Champions League. We all know he was man of match in that final of 2012. And he, so I'm giving you another scenario, which and, and that's talking about the man that he is. I think he will want to go out in a massive positive. That's a fair so point. What I will do versus what the club will do versus the man. The man, I think everybody would agree, is a is a special class act special guy. as good as they special come. Yep. guy. So we should maybe dive into that. Also, a reason say, why I feel bad for saying fuck check earlier. So just just yeah, so we're exactly. clear, that we, was that was we bad. All, we all we all feel <laughs> it, but you know what? In the end, we, none of us can hate him, right? We, he's no. top class, right? He's the best Premiership goalkeeper there's ever been, right? Let's let's not mess about. Right? He's well, while top, I agree with uh, I agree with all of that, Clive. I don't think he actually needs that extra pressure. I think. It can hurt him too. So while I agree he'll be super motivated, who the hell, it, it, uh, when your powers are beginning to fade a little bit, needs to play the game of your life? So uh, I think that's a little too much, more pressure than he needs to perform. I think, I don't uh, think he I'm needs sure to. I'm sure he'll be saying to himself, I want to check out in a good way. 
Yeah, and that means uh, this is what you do. You always think you go to a final home, play the best game I've ever played. How can I get that game out of me? Right. So whether you do or not, it doesn't matter. But that's the attitude you have walking into it. I want to play the best game I've ever played. Everything I've ever learned got to come out of this moment. Delivering yeah, under yeah, pressure. That's you what can put too much for. mustard on a hot dog. You know what I mean? You can, yeah, you can I, I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm just giving you. I'll give you an insight into just how you approach finals and games, and and how you even play a different brand of football in finals, right? Just to make sure that you control the game. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's something. The approach to finals is something you have to adjust to. And Jurgen Klopp, for example, he hasn't won any finals. Am I Elliot not winning any finals? He, he has got a huge pressure going to Champions League. His career, to win, to lose three Champions League finals, that's not good. Yeah, right? Being so in you, it so twice you, with Liverpool and once with Dortmund is, is yeah, pretty exactly. damn good, though. <laughs> and, and so he has got it all about. So he, I bet you he is focusing on his approach, player approach, making sure he doesn't drain the players, making sure he gets the, the mental pitch right for the game. Because it's a, such a difficult thing to manage. Your point's really valuable. You can go over the top and put too much pressure on yourself and end up not performing at all. You see what I mean? But this guy is an experienced guy, 36, 37. He knows how to walk into finals. I'm sure he wants to end his career in the well. In, by the way, I started off saying we should drop him. I've now gone on, back on the argument and said, uh, <laughs> because I, mean, I, started thinking, I started thinking about the guy. I you wouldn't yeah. drop him. I know you wouldn't drop him, Clive. That's the thing. No, you no, I, I, I probably, I probably couldn't. Yep. No, you're prob- you know what, Paul, you've done and, me. And it's not just because right. you're worried about his feelings. It's much more complicated than the one guy's feelings. It just is. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know I what? think, I think we can agree that what matters are my feelings. My feelings are this podcast <laughs> is over. <laughs> we, we, we've known that. We've known that for for many a year. <laughs> I, I try to make it as clear as possible. This could go on a long time. We, look, we we will get our answer one way or the other. And I think we could both agree that he could start Leno and Leno could lose you the final. He could start check and check could be the reason you win it. So we're not talking about Leno or Almunia. You know, Petr Cech is a good keeper, if not the keeper he once was. So we'll see what happens. Let's do this. Let's leave it there because... You could literally just hit next track play if you're a Patreon men- member and hear more mailbag. So so just do that. Go sign up for Patreon, hit next, boom. And right wherever you're listening now, the next thing you'll hear is more great questions like this. Um, only, you know, they'll be even better because I am not going to say terrible things about well-respected members of our team anymore. Uh, who am I kidding? I may. I may. You never know. Paul's on Twitter. Pause in my pants. Thanks, pause. Mm-hmm. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about Tim. We will have more great stuff uh, leading up to the game. But right now, I'm going to hit a button on the computer that's going to make this end. You can hear some music. Then I'm going to hit a button that makes it start again. And we're going to do the Discord, uh, the, uh, the Patreon thing. So join us for that. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Chelsea nil. No.